So, Mark. Yes. This week's movie came out in the summer. Okay. But it is set at Halloween time. Yes. How much time passes in this movie? I mean, the whole thing takes place over, like, a couple of weeks in the fall, right? Because the first chunk of the movie is, like, the week or so building up to the school's Halloween homecoming dance. The Halloween homecoming dance is, for some reason, a week before the homecoming football game. So we have, like, the time building up to the Halloween homecoming dance, say, about a week. Then we have the week between the dance and the game. And then the movie kind of wraps up. Oh, and then we have no, the because... rest of an entire school year. Yeah, there must be a gap because you don't get your college admissions acceptance until the spring. But they got them in October. Right, because it is clearly the homecoming game. True. So you just have to you have to assume that they applied as some part of like super early thing because they're desperate to go to Princeton. We're also told that she's applying a year early. Oh, that is true. So she's maybe part so of some like junior mega program. Maybe it's like Vanessa Hudgens in High School Musical where they just offer her a position at Stanford in the middle of her senior year of high school. Right, she has to leave for several weeks. Or it's like High School Musical 3 where colleges are just scouting people at random <laughs> to give out unsolicited scholarships. Colleges like Juilliard. Right. We we watched that movie, right? Yes, we did, Mark. I can remember zero things from that movie. <laughs> this keeps coming up. You, like, cannot get in your head that we watched High School Musical 3. For some reason, that one refuses to stick. More than probably any other movie we've covered. We did it for your grad school graduation. Because it's a graduation movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. It's just so bizarre that I don't remember a single plot point. I mean... I think you do, right? You remember that Vanessa Hudgens had to leave school for two weeks. Not to until Naomi said that. Yeah, at Stanford. If you had asked me what happens in that movie before that sentence, I would not <laughs> have been able to tell you that. Sharpay has a British assistant for some oh, reason. Yeah. Oh, and they're competing for like one scholarship to Juilliard, but they all just get it, right? Be something like that. Yeah. And the play is just about them. Oh, yeah. yeah. They do Euphoria. They do a, a devised musical about themselves, <laughs> and Troy isn't there for some reason, so the understudy is playing him, but then they swap out halfway He's through the He's not there because he goes to get Vanessa Hudgens at Stanford. Right, he has to go get her from Stanford to come back and also and swap out. And she hasn't been rehearsing, but she also swaps out. Well, she's been living it. Yeah, because it it's about her. her. <laughs> so anyway, this is a different high school movie. It is not a musical, although at times it feels like it could be. And it's centered around Halloween. So, Mark, uh, at the Halloween dance in this movie, it is also a costume contest. So I was wondering, what is your best Halloween costume? We were never a huge Halloween family when I was growing up. I don't think my parents liked spending money on Halloween costumes because they just would go into the trash. I was wondering if the reason was you were more like Hell House people. No. Uh, fortunately, not that. Um... <laughs> As a kid, I would cycle through some of the classics. I had a pirate year. I had a vampire year. My favorite was the year I got the, like, scream mask where you squeezed a pump and the blood flowed down oh, it. Oh, you were one of those. Those freaked me out. I hated those. I got one of those. Yeah, I felt very cool because everyone hated it. People would wear uh, those in elementary school. It was extremely school uncomfortable to wear. <laughs> um, one of my favorite costumes in general, is one year Nick was Sexy Waldo for Halloween, <laughs> and I really loved that. A red and white striped cut-off t-shirt, really short jean shorts, and then, like, the beanie and glasses. <laughs> that is a great costume. 
I'm trying to think of some other ones I did. I don't know. I'm so cheap. Every time we get to Halloween, I'm just like, well, I could spend $100 or I could just like throw on something I have under the bed and call it a day. I have a couple emergency costumes. I have kind of a Captain America World War II thing that I like use a brown jacket over a t-shirt that looks like Captain America's uniform. I have a cowboy costume that I can resort to. I have the Johnny Rockets uniform from when I worked <laughs> at FedEx Field. You worked at Johnny Rockets? That's a good one. No, I worked at, uh, when I was in high school, so appropriate for this movie, I was in the marching band, which is very cool. And we raised money for our band trip by staffing booths at FedEx Field, where the commanders oh, play. Oh, interesting. And the booth that we staffed was a Johnny Rockets booth, so we had to wear a Johnny Rockets <laughs> uniform there. And you were supposed to check them in and check them out when you came in, but one year, actually, leading up to homecoming, we had all these different themed dress-up days over the course of the week. And the one for, I want to say Tuesday, was what you want to be when you grow up. <laughs> and we were like, how funny would it be if we all were Johnny Rockets workers? So we had this really tall guy named Luke. Because he was tall, he had a really big sweatshirt. So we were like, all right, when you're supposed to be taking off your uniform and handing it in, pass it to Luke instead. He'll bundle him up in his sweatshirt. <laughs> so Luke smuggled all of our Johnny Rockets uniforms out of the stadium. And then... There was a saxophone player who didn't use his locker, and for some reason, we all had the combination. So Monday morning, Luke put all the Johnny Rockets uniforms in Justin's locker, and your job was, at some point during the day, go pull out a uniform and wear it to school the next day. Our plan was to return these the following game, but the next week we forgot, and that week they started counting how many they gave out and how many they gave back. And we were like, well, we can't give them back seven more than <laughs> they gave us. So I still have it. So, I mean, clearly they started doing that counting because of the missing yeah. seven that you took. Right. Yeah. Is Luke's main personality trait that he has a big sweatshirt? Uh, he was he was very tall. It was oh, more his personality okay. trait. Got it. So, like, those are kind of my emergency costumes. In my, like, elementary school trick-or-treating slash Halloween parade days... The one that I was proudest of was one year I went as a basket of dirty laundry. <laughs> I took an old, I guess you could have thought it was clean laundry, but I thought it was dirty. I took a, like, old laundry basket and cut a hole in the middle of it and then attached straps to it. And so I, like, wore that around myself and filled it with clothes. <laughs> That's a good one. That's pretty funny. Yeah, that was a good one. As a small child, I was Big Bird, like, three years in a row. I love Big Bird. Because I loved Big Bird, and it seemed like that's what I should do for Halloween for as long as possible, was be Big Bird. There was one year, I genuinely, I feel like my friends and I were all supposed to do stuff like this. In retrospect, and I'm sure to my parents at the time, it was completely incoherent. (laughs) I insisted on being, this would have been when I was in like seventh grade, I insisted on being a black market toilet brush salesman. Sorry? (laughs) Which basically meant I wore a trench coat. And inside the trench coat, I had fastened toilet brushes the way that, like, (laughs) somebody would watches in a movie. (laughs) And you know it's a great costume when you have to explain it to every person Uh who sees it. When I was in college one year, I dressed as Yakka Warner. And I was like, people will get this. The people did not get it. (laughs) And even I was just like, yeah, I'm Yakka Warner. And they're like, what? From the Animaniacs. What's that? Shocking amount of people didn't know what the Animaniacs was. I'm sorry to tell you, I like know Animaniacs, but I would never have recognized that name. I like did it rang no bells to me. Yeah, every time you explain it, you just get a little more defeated. (laughs) 
yeah, it's just like at a certain point you want to give up. Uh, so what about you? What's your best Halloween costume? I think my best costume was a plate of spaghetti. My mom was really good at making Halloween costumes. And what that meant is that as years went on and I got older and older, I asked her to do more and more complicated things because she never failed. I mean, it wasn't like a, I wasn't like playing a prank on her. I just like was able to have whatever ideas and then she would manifest them. And so I had like a, so the plate was oriented vertically and the foam was in a circle and my head, there was like a head cut out. And then she got a like rope mop and disassembled it and like glued it all over. And then there was like red tissue paper and brown puff balls as meatballs and they're all glued on and then my like candy container was a cylinder that she wrapped to make it look like a can of parmesan cheese (laughs) that's amazing that's incredible it was really good and that cylinder was like originally a christmas box of a nutcracker and she like took the arms off of it but then when we were done using it she put the arms back on and now i get a present in it every single year and have since fourth grade so that's fun. It's a gift that keeps on giving, really. Yeah, wow, I never what a had great anything cool like that. I dressed up as food a lot. I dressed up as spaghetti, cotton candy, a 7-Eleven slush. There's probably other ones. <laughs> One year I want to dress as Scout dressed as ham from To Kill a Mockingbird, but it would be a very difficult costume to put together. It does feel like that one quickly becomes another. You're explaining it every time. <laughs> I dressed up as the Cowardly Lion from The Wizard of Oz for Homecoming, which is, like, relevant. So it wasn't Halloween, but it was, like, Spirit Week. And a group of us dressed up as, like, all of the characters. Because Homecoming was Wizard of Oz themed, which is kind of, like, a funny, very specific theme. And so there's a picture of, like, all of the characters. And I put a lot of, like, weird lion makeup on. Oh, I see the... Okay. Mark just sent a picture it is very of clear what he was talking about. What it is. Yeah. Scout dressed as ham, that is a pretty clear costume, and I do love it. Maybe you should write on it, Scout dressed as ham. Well, you put a a, hello my name is sticker on above the word ham. There you go. I think it works on two levels, where one, you're just in a funny ham costume, but then the people that get it, get it. Right, that I think is successful, Mm -hmm. and if you really need it, you can carry around a, a Queen of Jordan ham button. What about our real problem? We need Tracy. But all Angie cares about her own dumb projects. Devon told me she's the new spokeswoman for the Ham Council. People do like the way she says ham. 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 Uh, before we move on from this, did anybody have any favorite Halloween costumes in the movie? There were a couple Because I really ones. liked the guy who was dressed as a parking spot. Yes, that one was amazing. Yeah. Because this was the kind of costume that it feels like a clever high schooler could plausibly come up with. As opposed to, like, a costume department in a movie game. Yeah, right, right. Like, he was wearing a sandwich board that had been painted to look like a lined parking space. And then as a hat, he had a long, like, one of those concrete bumpers at the end of a parking space. And it had a teacher's name on it. Yeah. It said, like, Mrs. Burns or something. That was a great one. The costumes in this were, I mean, it's funny because they looked cheap, not in the way of a movie getting cheap costumes but in a way of high schoolers buying these costumes at party city i don't know those musketeer costumes are except for those ones also for like like are we really getting 
the like football jocks to dress up in those musketeer costumes. That was I that was, was thinking that. I was like bizarre. <laughs> These cool kids with disdain for anyone else are really into dress up. Yeah. Also, not for nothing, Hillary Duff's costume was like it wasn't a Cinderella oh, costume. It was just no. a wedding dress. <laughs> Nobody said Cinderella at all. Like before she got there. Even having Chad Michael Murray next to her doesn't make her look like Cinderella. I think we really got to start talking about this movie. (laughs) All right. Welcome to We Love the Love, a Hollywood romance podcast. I'm Mark and I'm gay. And I'm Will and I'm a ginger. This is an investigative podcast dedicated to examining the very least important issue facing our world. Does Hollywood high school romance actually make any sense? And are these high schoolers actually dateable or even likable? (laughs) It doesn't matter if the high school romance is the main plot or a one-scene flirtation. We will dig in and see what's there. And this week, as we continue our month of high school romantic comedies, we are joined by our resident geology expert, Naomi, to talk about the science and love of the 2004 Hillary Duff vehicle, A Cinderella Story. Well, this is an earthquake movie, so that's why I'm here. Right. It was between this or San Andreas. Yeah. <laughs> Classic high school romp San Andreas. Hey, I haven't seen it. Maybe it is. Maybe The Rock has gone undercover as a high schooler, never been kissed style, and then the earthquake goes off and he has to save the day. He probably would look the same age as Chad Michael Murray in this movie. Right. Maybe you would need a young rock on NBC. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Naomi, we're doing high school rom-coms all month. Before we get into Cinderella story... Do you have any standout high school rom-coms you want to just shout out? Um, This is definitely up there. I have seen this movie countless times. And I it feels like pervasive throughout my life. Like I can't remember the first time I saw it. I think it was in theaters, but like I don't remember it. Also a big fan of 10 Things I Hate About You. Great movie. Good one. Yeah, those are the ones coming to mind at the moment. Where do you stand on Easy A? I think it's like fun. Oh, I'll tell a funny story about Easy A. When I was in high school, I was like a junior and we read the Scarlet Letter in English class. And so one of my friends was like, oh, I want to host a movie night and we'll watch Easy A because it was like topical and it was like, you know, everybody hanging out. And I was in like the very um, well-behaved friend group, aka the strict parent friend group. So he was like, I like want to watch Easy A and they... um, at his house, there was, like, a basement with, like, a big projector screen and, like, a bunch of couches. And his parents were, like, you can only watch Easy A if all of the lights are on and we're down there with you. <laughs> Fantastic. So we watched a different movie that, that doesn't make require sense. supervision. No, it doesn't make any sense. Because, like, the thing is, the requirement for lights on parents in the room should apply to any movie because it's, like, Easy A isn't going to make people so horny that they fool around yeah, specifically. Exactly. High school like, if that's what they're trying to avoid. In the dark at a movie. <laughs> Madagascar would have done the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't remember what we watched, but it was like not relevant at all, and it was like kind of a weird choice. But it was parent approved, so we got to watch it without the parents there, with the lights off. But I still don't oh, wow. think anybody got it on. One of the best parts of being a younger child is my sister my parents were making her check in on pg-13 movies until she was like 15 and my parents showed me an r movie at 12 we've been clear on this show that my first r-rated movie was frost nixon that just like doesn't count though i know (laughs) mine at least was hot fuzz 
I think that's a strong intro to the world of R-rated movies. <laughs> yeah. Naomi, it did occur to me that this wound up being an appropriate way to watch Easy A, because that actually is a movie in which no one really gets it on. Well, I was just thinking that, too. Like, the sexiest thing about Easy A is that she's, like, wearing lingerie, but it's, like, not even... It's, like, mostly lacy. It's not actually that revealing, either. Like, not, no. nothing, like, very sexual happens in that movie. The point of that movie is those high schoolers are not having sex. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if his parents had, like, seen it and thought it was inappropriate or just saw the, like, ads of Emma Stone and lingerie and were like, absolutely not. That's probably it. Now, you mentioned 10 Things I Hate About You, which, of course, stars Julia Stiles, who I think we should mention because Julia Stiles was the star of one of the four sort of teeny <laughs> princess movies that came out in 2004. So we have this. We have a Cinderella story. Julia Stiles was the star of The Prince and Me. Oh. Did Ella Enchanted come out in 2004? Ella Enchanted came out this year, and The Princess Diaries 2 came out this no year. Oh my god. Way. All huge hitters, honestly. I had never heard of The Prince and Me until today. Oh, I think I've seen it. Me neither. If it's what I'm thinking That one, of, she's like a med student who falls in love with a prince? He, like, is an exchange student or something. And then, yeah, she, like, is kind of crotchety and, like, refrains from falling in love, even though she, like, wants to... Maybe she doesn't know he's a prince, and then the, like, whole you lied to me thing is she, like, finds out he's a prince. Well, uh, the Norwegian actor who plays the prince came back for the direct-to-video sequel, and Julia Stiles did not. Oh, she had better things to do, I guess. Okay, but circling back to a Cinderella story, you said you've seen this movie before, you've seen it a bunch of times, probably saw it in theaters. Yeah. What is sort of your general feeling on a Cinderella story. My general feeling on a Cinderella story is that Chad Michael Murray in 2004 was my dream man for like most of my life. And so this movie was like he was like the most attractive man I had ever seen in my life and so I enjoyed watching it at any opportunity. Were you watching One Tree Hill by this point? No, I didn't watch One Tree Hill until college actually. I like circled back okay. on it. I didn't I I feel like it was maybe a little bit older than me. So, or like maybe it was older than me when it started. And so then I didn't like get in on it, but I like him better in this movie than in One Tree Hill. But he doesn't have a lot. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of personality in this movie. So I think I could kind of impose on he him. He does not. Whatever I wanted. Honestly, that may have been the point. Yeah. Um, would it have been better if it was Rupert Grint? Oh, no. When I So I was watching this with my boyfriend, um, not Chad Michael Murray, but now certainly my dream man. And he was like looking up facts while we watched it. And he sa- he was like, oh, this was supposed to be <laughs> Rupert Grant. And I can't even picture it. Like Rupert Grant was cast. <laughs> it was gonna happen. And then the scheduling didn't line up with Prisoner of Azkaban. I just can't picture that because like, he doesn't have the face of someone who is a secret writer. No. no. Also, Rupert Grant in Prisoner of Azkaban is like the oh no, you know what? It's the fourth movie where they all look awful, isn't it? You're thinking Goblet of Fire. He's still baby faced in Prince in Mm, Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. He would have looked like Carter. He would have looked like Hilary Duff's little brother. Um, no, I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much if it were Rupert Grant. (laughs) No, that's a hilarious fact. Chad Michael Murray, I mostly know in a hilariously on-brand thing from his role on Agent Carter, the only Marvel show that's good from <laughs> beginning to end. That's funny. Which is the Haley Atwell spinoff of the first Captain America movie, where she plays like 
an intelligence agent after the war who's bummed that her boyfriend, Captain America, died. (laughs) But she's, like, kind of flirting with Chad Michael Murray, who also works in the intelligence office. (laughs) I feel like this movie was, like, Chad Michael Murray at his very peak of, like, stardom and, like, appeal. And that is, like, obvious in that he is still trying to, like, trade on the One Tree Hill brand. Like, most of his Instagram account is him posting One Tree Hill jerseys. Oh, wow. Like, this movie was released between seasons one and two of One Tree Hill. Okay, yeah, yeah. And his storyline kind of spirals out after a while in One Tree Hill, too. He had already been on Gilmore Girls a couple of times. Yeah. He was on Dawson's Creek a couple times, the official show of this podcast. Mm. Dawson's Creek just keeps coming up for some reason. Uh, I tried to watch Dawson's Creek, and I made it, like, maybe through a season and a half before I just got too cringed out. I was like, this is way too much for me. Okay, well, we'll have you back on when we start our Dawson's Creek podcast. Okay, okay. I'll I'll be happy to join in on that one. Yeah, Podson's Creek. It's coming to you soon. Podson's Creek. So, Chad Michael Murray, his TV career has kind of taken off. Hilary Duff, this movie comes out, like, a couple months after Lizzie McGuire wraps up. Oh, Interesting. That show ends its run in February 2004, and this is July. So this is her attempt to, like, become a movie star. Right, she'd been in movies before, she was in Cheaper by the Dozen, but this is, like, the first Hilary Duff vehicle that is not the Lizzie McGuire movie. Yeah, also I feel like all the Disney stars, when their, like, shows end, they're like, oh, I get to not be 12 years old now. Right, now she gets to play somebody who is leaving high school. So was this before her music career took off more or like right in there? They're kind of happening in parallel. Okay. Because in the final scene, I started singing the Lizzie McGuire movie or the Lizzie McGuire song that's like, let the rain fall down and wake my dreams. And Josh was like, wait, you're telling me she recorded It felt like they should have been playing that song. And it wasn't for this movie. (laughs) It felt like it should have been playing. Right. At the end of the movie. (laughs) Like with the rain literally coming down. Yeah. What year did that song come out? I was just wondering, maybe it hadn't come out Let me yet. look it up. I'm looking it up. Okay. Come clean. 2003, they could have put it. They oh, could have put it. it. Disney probably owned it. That's crazy. I can't believe um, that was Speaking of the, like, Disney TV stars moving on to features. So, Naomi, I don't know if you know this. There have been five direct-to-video sequels to this movie. No. Wait, but are they sequels in, like... Well, not sequels. Like, spinoffs. Okay, They're, like, other Cinderella stories. Wait, that was the one with uh, Lucy Hale. That was one of them. Or like, she's That's like the a second dancer. One. So every one of them stars like a former star of children's oh, TV. No. Like, you know, not like Sesame Street children's, like yeah, Lizzie yeah, McGuire yeah. children's. So the first one is another Cinderella story. 2008 stars oh, Selena, Selena Gomez. Gomez. Yeah, I, I've seen that one several times. 2011, a Cinderella story, colon, Once Upon a Song, Lucy Hale. 2016, A Cinderella Story, colon, If the Shoe Fits, stars Sophia Carson from the Descendants movies. What is the, like, theme of that one? Like, we had dancing, we had singing, so what is uh, The Shoe? Is she, like, a If the Shoe Fits, Uh, let me see. Foot fetishism. (laughs) Also, that's interesting because I knew of those movies and I had always kind of wondered if they were, like, just using the name and it wasn't, like, a trademark name or whatever. Because... There's no, like, continuity. They're not, like, the same. Yeah, so this one appears to be a dancing one. Okay. Which makes sense with shoe. I guess. Yeah. Then in 2019, we have a Cinderella story, colon, Christmas Wish, which stars (laughs) Laura Marano of Austin and Alley. Okay. And then in 2021, these things are basically still a going concern. 
in 2021, we had a Cinderella story, colon, Starstruck, which starred Bailey Madison. Who Who's that? She did, like, a bunch of, like, young Disney viewers Channel. TV shows. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that kind of thing. I know her from the Netflix Christian musical A Week Away that came out, in, <laughs> I think, also in 2021. Can't say I'm familiar. It does feature Sherry Shepard, the Queen of Jordan herself. Wow. But yeah, so clearly this name is meaningful, right? They right. continue to make these direct-to-video movies. And it did okay in its release. It clearly was the kind of movie that, like, it never topped the box office. It opened in fourth behind iRobot, Spider-Man 2, and Anchorman. But just kind of, like, steadily made about the same amount of money for a couple of weeks. Nice. It made $51 million in North America, another 18 overseas. I assume it did very well on DVD. They probably licensed it to play on TV a lot, too. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I think that's true. But this really feels like, this really feels like huge DVD sales to me. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you see it in July, and then you, like, get it for Christmas. Exactly. Critics were less kind to the movie than some audiences were. <laughs> and I wanted to just, I, I try not to do this a lot, but I felt like I had to read from Roger Ebert's review. Oh, no. Which is, the review starts off, with a letter that was published in the Wichita Eagle. The nation's foremost newspaper. But Ebert wrote for Chicago Sun-Times, right? He's writing for mm -hmm. a, like, a Midwestern paper. Okay. And this kid had written a letter to the Wichita Eagle about how he'd realized critics are... This kid's, like, 13. He'd realized critics are worthless. He could do all the research he needs on the internet. And then he tells the people in his family what they should go see. And, like... There's a verification in the letter from his mom. Like, yeah, really? Like, I just ask, I just ask Byron what's good. And he tells me and he always knows. Do you identify with that kid, Will? No, because unlike Byron, I don't cast critics off. I read critics and then tell my family. Okay, okay. So Ebert starts with that letter. And then the whole review is addressed at Byron. <laughs> and he does all this wind up before he announces, this is a lame, stupid movie. Wow. But Warner Brothers is spending a fortune, Byron, to persuade you to see it. And to recommend it to your mom and your sister, Jasmine. <laughs> so you must be strong and wise and do your research. Even though your mother no longer watches my TV show, you use the internet as a resource and no doubt know about movie review sources like Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, and even suntimes.com slash Ebert. <laughs> even when a critic dislikes a movie, if it's a good review, it has enough information so you can figure out whether you'd like it anyway. For example, this review is a splendid review because it lets you know that you'd hate a Cinderella story, and I am pretty much 100% sure that you would. So I offer the following advice. Urgently counsel your mom and sister to forget about going to the movies this week, and instead mark the calendar for August 24th, when Ella Enchanted will be released on video. <laughs> this is a movie that came out in April and sank without a trace, despite the fact that it was a magical, funny, intelligent, romantic, and charming film. A Cinderella Story is a terrible movie, sappy and dead in the water, but Ella Enchanted is a wonderful movie, and if Jasmine and your mom insist on Cinderella, you can casually point out what Ella is short for. You know what? I'm kind of, a, I, I'm on his side. It's also just a hysterical review. It is a hysterical. I liked Ella Enchanted a lot more than this one. It has a sassy snake. Well, I think that that review discounts the joy that this movie brings to young girls who have have just found out what being attracted to someone is. And I don't think he yeah, considered that when he was writing it. Ella Enchanted had Hugh Dancy in it. Yeah, but he like 
he read too old an Ella Enchanted for me to be like lusting after him. That's fair. Like I thought he was like handsome, but I wasn't like I couldn't like picture it. But like when you're in middle school, you can picture yourself in high school like dating the football player. It's the leaps upwards. Yeah. Because yeah. Ella's also kind of like a, well, she's like in college kind of in that movie. Like she's in community college. Eight. So she definitely was like older than yeah. where I was when I first saw it. Um, I think this movie is great. So all of well, you. Well, so did the wrong. Teen Choice Awards. <laughs> of course they did. Because it was teens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they won two Teen Choice Awards for Choice Sleaze Bag for Jennifer Coolidge. <laughs> she was really funny in this movie. That is a great award. Yeah. yeah. They also won choice blush scene for the pep rally that is just about the interpersonal dynamics between like four people. Okay, I literally say again, that. Again, <laughs> it's just euphoria. <laughs> but again, like the thing about this pep rally where you're watching like the cheerleaders just make fun of the fact that Hillary well, Duff and Chad Michael Murray movie. were like chatting with one another. Like, Everybody else at the pep rally is laughing uproariously. And I'm like, I don't think they understand what's, what's going, going on. on in this sketch. It's like not funny without the context. Like you wouldn't be laughing if you didn't know. And they already said that it's like a school of 3,500 people. Like they don't know right. what's happening. If you were watching it, you'd be like, they are clearly dealing with some like specific controversy that I do not understand. Also, maybe this is just me being like older than high school and having a certain amount of like I don't know, emotional intelligence, but like, what is embarrassing in that? Like, I think that it, I think I that the biggest know. drama I is I that also like, didn't his know. dad finds out that he doesn't want to play football. Like, I see that being like kind of an issue, but I don't understand what's embarrassing about them just like messaging each other. Right. It's <laughs> not? It's not. I feel like the mean kids are really bad at being mean. Like, there's no creativity there. Yeah. What's well, incoherent? Yeah. It's incoherent. The th- reasons they're making fun of people are weird. Well, they're acting like she is the sole person at a public high school who has a job. Right, a school <laughs> of 3,500 people. Yeah, she's the only one she's who has a low-paying job yeah. part-time. She works at a diner that they like? Yeah. What? But they never but they also don't like it because they order nothing. Yeah. they're like Atkins girlies. That's- oh, yeah. We'll get into that, I think, a little bit in one of the points, but I, like, was confused every time why they went in there. The movie also got several nominations at the Teen Choice Awards. Hilary Duff was nominated for Choice Actress in a Comedy and lost to Sandra Bullock in Miss Congeniality 2, Armed and Fabulous. Oh, oh no. That, I don't know. I haven't, seen, I haven't seen two. That's not not a great movie. A Cinderella Story was also nominated for Choice Date Movie, Choice Movie Chemistry, Choice Lip Lock, and Choice Love Scene, Ooh. all of which it lost to The Notebook. I would say The Notebook actually has a love scene in it. What are what did they call the love scene? Like what was it was it the like dancing in the gazebo? They don't specify. Okay. It must be the gazebo. I like, I guess we'll talk about this again. I like that the gazebo has a musical trio standing by in case anybody wanders in. No, but. I think they they were on their smoke break, but they can't show cigarettes. That was fully, that was a wedding. It was fully set up. It was the quartet from the wedding, but no one was there. And all the chairs are set up. So I assumed it was attached to the dance somehow. And for some reason, no one was going out there. You know what? I thought that like. 
like the first, you know, however many times I watched this and I didn't think critically about it like at all. But this time I was like, maybe it's just that I've been to a lot more weddings since the last time I saw it. But I was like, this has like greenery. It's got flowers. It's got a like musical ensemble. So I was guessing that the wedding was like over or they had moved to the reception. But why would it be in the same location as a high school dance? Because that also sounds like hell. Right. It it only <laughs> makes sense if it is part of the dance. But the chairs are what throws Which is you not off, to say right? that it does make like, sense. They're like facing. They're not just like somewhere to sit. It's like a setup of. I don't know. I found it very confusing. Will, had you seen this before? I had not. I distinctly remember the marketing campaign for it. I did see Ella Enchanted and The Princess Diaries 2 in theaters. Mm. But I did not see a Cinderella story until this. Yeah, I hadn't watched it either. The only thing I knew about it were some of, like, Jennifer Coolidge's lines. Especially the, like, (laughs) you're not very pretty and you're not very bright. (laughs) I'm glad we had this talk. The the tanning bed. (laughs) Okay, when she sits up in the tanning bed and she has the little glasses on, she does... (laughs) She does look hysterical. It's one of the best jokes in the movie. (laughs) A movie I do not think is terribly effective, in large part because I think Chad Michael Murray is punishingly bland. Wow. I also, I I think Hilary Duff is not up to caliber to be acting alongside Regina King and Jennifer Coolidge. Every time Regina King is in a scene, it feels like she's doing the movie a favor by being there. Yeah, like, I kind of. It's that. <laughs> almost worse to have a good actor because it shows the other performances as so surface level. Um, Mark, what about the acting, the writing, the costumes, and the plot? Do you have a problem with? <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought it was all, all excellent <laughs> and at high caliber. So, what about the stilted way that Hilary Duff talked throughout the entire thing bothered you? <laughs> why Why does she stop halfway through every sentence for, like, a beat? <laughs> well, because she's used to having a cartoon version of herself interrupt her. Oh, true. <laughs> but that doesn't happen in this movie. She's still picturing the little Lizzie on her shoulder. <laughs> yeah. Naomi, it's possible you've seen some other movies directed by Mark Rosman, who directed this one. Mm. In the 80s, he was directing, like, B-genre movies, like, Slasher movies like The House on Sorority Row. Mm. But by the 90s, he's making direct-to-video and made-for-TV movies, including Life Size. I've seen that one. Wow. Yeah. The original Barbie movie. Tyra Banks typing gibberish into a computer is always funny. (laughs) Yeah. He also directed Model Behavior, which was the film debut of Justin Timberlake. So both of those movies weren't Disney Channel movies, but they were shown on Disney Channel. So they were both Wonderful World of Disney movies, which was Sunday nights on ABC. They would sometimes air made-for-TV movies. Because I've seen those movies a bunch of times. They were it was always on Disney Channel, but I was like kind of aware that they weren't like decoms. They were like different, and then they stopped showing them after a while. They were Wonderful World of Disney. Um, He directed The Perfect Man, which is the next Hillary Duff vehicle. I don't think I saw that one. I think his most recent film is a 2011 Lifetime movie called William and Kate the Movie that aired 11 days before their wedding. Ooh. Wow. I'm aware of that. The Guardian review of William and Kate the Movie said, quote, It is recognizably a film in that it takes place on a screen. (laughs) Events run in a forward direction. That was Melissa's review of a high school possession. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's true. This was really one of the films of all time. Yeah, that's kind of the tone of the <laughs> reveal. 
All right. Well, I feel like I could do this all day, but we should probably get into the romance of a Cinderella story. All right. Okay. I assume we're not going to be talking to... How much are we talking about the gay best friend who is straight? Oh, like none. Carter is great. Carter. So we can talk about I just want to say, Carter is a bad friend because Shelby has just been making Hillary Duff's life right. miserable throughout yes. the whole movie. And as soon as he gets the chance, he starts making out with her. No. <laughs> Agree. Also, how do you total three cars between turning like 16 and 17? When we're Pretty told late. that fact about him, I assume that it's because he's a reckless driver. But mm. then we see him driving and discover he's an incredibly nervous driver. But I think it was because of, that was his dad's car. I feel like that was why he was driving more carefully. Bad luck on that count. I was I was wondering if that would be covered by insurance. The like sign it falling on your car. Like it should, right? Yeah, absolutely. Even if you love tap it, like it should be coming down. But his car was pushed into the sign too. Oh, yeah, because he didn't hit it. He, like, stopped, and then it got pushed in. Yeah. Also, did you notice that his dad's car's license plate was my dad won, but it was the dad's car? Sick. (laughs) It's to let you know that it's the dad's car. Yeah, but it's, like, that would be, like, it's a sentence. It, like, doesn't, anyway. (laughs) It's a sentence directed at Carter. Like, my dad won. Oh, yeah. He's offering three different ways to remind Carter whose car it is. It's my car, it's dad's car, it's number one's car. Right, right, fair. Naomi, have you visited the diner? No, but it's in the town where my boyfriend is from, which is like an hour and a half drive from where this movie's set. So, yes. They were driving to Long Beach and back every time, like, kind of rough. The movie. Is nominally set at high school, but nobody ever goes to class. No. There's only one teacher in it. In our first scene in the present day, the movie starts with a flashback, but our first, like, day in the present day, we see Hilary Duff gets up. The sun is up. Like, the sun is high in the sky. She goes out to the pool. Stepsisters are doing water aerobics. No, synchronized swimming. Okay. And she is sent to go work at the diner. So she goes, works a shift at the diner, then reports to school. You also get the vibe she had already done chores that morning. Like she made breakfast right. or whatever. So either it's summer in Alaska or something weird is going <laughs> yeah. on here. Or school starts at like 11. <laughs> this may sound weird, but watching this movie, I was just like, I can guarantee that Rachel Sennett and Iowa Debery watched this bef- like as the writers of Bottoms. <laughs> yes, this feels like the school from Bottoms. And honestly, I would have loved it if one of those football players had been kept in a cage. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, the time there are a lot of questionable timelines. The one that got me was, it's dark outside. The group of popular kids comes to the diner, ostensibly to eat dinner. They don't order dinner. Chad Michael Murray breaks up with his girlfriend mere hours before the Halloween dance that they're supposed to be going to together. And then they break. Everybody gets ready for the dance. Hilary Duff tries on 75 costumes. That's where the time goes. And then goes to like Rhonda's house to get the wedding dress and then still makes it to the dance. Well, she makes it to the dance at 11 p.m. Yeah, at 11. When did this dance start? I don't know. I mean, the fact that this school dance goes until midnight is crazy to me. Yes, right. Absolutely. I agree. Especially because it's not even prom. No! My prom went really late to try and keep kids from going to the clubs. 
didn't work. All right, well, Naomi, every week we break down the romantic plotline of a movie into five points to help us guide the conversation on a track, stay on the rails. So as our guest, we're going to ask you to lead us through the romance of a Cinderella story. All right, well, we're going to start with point A, which is like a... Um, ex- excuse me? A, a point zero, a precursor to point one. Um... <laughs> Is this a lot? I cannot accept this. Right. Will, what do you feel A versus zero? Which do you prefer? Here's the thing. If First Naomi thought. told me as a scientist that A was like an appendix providing important research elements to this, I would maybe be persuaded. But just a point zero by another name to me is unacceptable chicanery. Um, what if I say that I am really into coding and so I don't believe in starting lists at one? Alternatively, I'm really into the European style. I don't think Will or I style. know enough about coding oh. to understand that. You, uh, coding is like often, ze- like you start at zero when you're like in like a list. Like zero is like the first number. Okay, okay. Just kidding. What if I'm really into the way that Europeans label the floors in their buildings? So that's why. Well, then this would be point This G. would be point G. Oh, okay. Well, this can be point G then. This is the ground floor. Oh, fine, I'll accept it. Because you're laying the groundwork. Yeah. (laughs) But the ground is unstable. Yeah. So as Will mentioned, we start with a flashback where Hilary Duff and her father are in bed reading a, a bedtime story and the Northridge earthquake occurs and he dies in the earthquake. This is hysterical. It's kind of unfortunate. So it's Hillary done Duff's so poorly. Father in this movie is one of thirty-three people who die in the Northridge earthquake. <laughs> Wait, is this a real earthquake? Oh yeah, the Northridge earthquake was like actually it caused like a ton of damage. It was in nineteen ninety-four. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a real earthquake. So it was like kind of interesting that they they like used this. But yeah, so it was an earthquake in nineteen ninety-four. It was a six point seven. Wait, that means this movie is set in two thousand two. Yeah. So it's like, I guess. It's a period piece. Yeah. <laughs> it was a 6.7 uh, magnitude earthquake, which is like pretty big. Like, like very big. Like we had a magnitude four earthquake like recently and I didn't feel it at all. Like that's not huge, but 6.7, very big. 57 people died total, but 33 died like directly from the earthquake. So the 57 in like some cases it. were like injury and illness that were, or like cardiac arrest from like the stress of it type of thing, but it wasn't like a building fell on them. It's not really clear how her dad dies. Like it's, it, if the it, house fell down, all of them would have died. Right. He leaves her on the top floor. Right. So I was thinking maybe like something fell on him, but we're spared the gory details of that. That's what feels weird about it to me. It's like, yes, like the camera goes on a tilt. We see like they hold hands and then like slow motion, their hands are separated. But, but where is he going to? That's right. the question, well, they, right? No, where so is he running to she, like, calls when the earthquake him. starts that he's not bringing her with him? Well, so the, the like, stepmom is like, help me. And the reason he leaves her where she did, and this is, like, kind of a misconception, but there's an idea that doorways are the safest place to be in earthquakes. So that's why he, I, I think he, like, his idea was he left her in the doorway because that's, like, the safe place. And then he went to help his wife. Why is that not the safe place? Because that is where I went in the 2011 DC earthquake. It's like not, not, but I think it 
it's like the doors kind of pose an issue and it's better to be under like a heavy piece of like a heavy table that will like catch things. Duck and cover. I think that the idea is that doorways are like more structurally sound, but maybe that's like not totally right. I don't remember. I learned this like five years ago when I moved here. Now I don't don't remember. You're supposed to drop cover and hold on. That's what you uh, do in the great shakeout drill in October every year. This is what we have you on for, right? No one else could have brought us this. Also of note about this earthquake is that it happened at 4.30 a.m. And he was reading to her when it happened, Uh, right? He was reading like a bedtime story. Which is part of why the death toll wasn't like as high as it might have been because people were like in their small houses and not their big building, office buildings or the highways or the schools, like some of which faced a lot of damage. But... I didn't look up, I should have looked up the number. I, I didn't look up the amount of damage because I assumed that you all would be like, oh yeah, the Northridge earthquake. I don't know about that. But it did a ton of damage. It was like one of the biggest earthquakes that's happened in the Los Angeles area. And I looked up some things of note that happened directly after the earthquake. One, the I-10 freeway, which is like one of the busiest highways in the US as far as like commuters was closed for three months. Mm-hmm. That's like pretty Oh my gosh. Significant when it comes to Los Good Angeles. Lord. Yeah. Also, I thought of interest, Universal Studios closed their earthquake ride for a certain amount of time <laughs> after this earthquake. Insensitivity. Yeah, insensitivity and also because there were a lot of aftershocks and so they closed a couple other rides that had like shaking aspects. Because they didn't want people to freak out that they were, like, actually in a, the earthquake. Like, they were, like, it was an aftershock and they were, like, feeling real shaking. So I saw an article about this and there was, like, mixed reviews about the the ride closing. Some people were, like, yeah, this was, like, good. Like, I wouldn't want to ride that right now after, like, I already felt the real thing. I guess it was their, like, biggest attraction at the time. And so... A lot of out-of-towners, like, people who came to visit were, like, very upset about it because they had come just to ride the earthquake ride. But then someone else, another local, was like, well, they're going to need to beef up the ride now because it's supposed to be an 8.3 and we just had a 6.7 and now that one feels, like, wimpy. Like, it just didn't feel like the real thing. So that was some of the... I love the idea of all the the Angelinos, like, um, um-actuallying the earthquake ride. Yeah, right, exactly. But uh, before Hilary Duff's dad dies, he tells her that there's always money in the banana stand. Yeah, exactly. There's this ham-handed line that the dad gives about like, this book contains all the things that you need to know in yeah. life. Do fairy tales come true, dad? Well, no. But dreams come true. Do you have a dream? Yeah. My dream is that you'll grow up and go to college, and then maybe someday you'll build your own castle. Where do princesses go to college? Uh, they go, um, where the princes go. They go to Princeton. But Sam, you know, fairy tales aren't just about finding handsome princes. They're about fulfilling your dreams and about standing up for what you believe in. It's just like I always say, never let the fear of striking out. Keep Keep you from playing the game. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) And just remember, if you look carefully, this book contains important things that you may need to know later in life. Well, and he makes such a, like, passing comment about princes go to Princeton, and that, like, decides the trajectory of her whole life now. 
he wasn't like Princeton is a great university and you should go there for the academics. He was like, you go there for a prince. <laughs> Unlike Austin, she does not manage to shake off her dad's predestined life plan for her. Right. Austin's predestined life plan to play uh, University of Southern California football, but it's his senior season and he has no offer in hand to play football there. Right. And the plan is not then to go pro. The plan is to go back and work at his dad's car wash. The plan is to use his USC degree to then come back and manage the car wash business. Right. He's the one who should be getting the advice from Jennifer Coolidge about like, people go to college to get a job. You already have the job. Like you don't need to go. It doesn't seem like he needs a degree from a four-year university to manage the family business. He would be going there exclusively to play football. Right. There's a few plot holes in this movie. No. What? I don't think so. (laughs) Okay, should we move on to point one? Sure, let's do it. Going up one floor. (laughs) Yeah, right. We're going up one floor. Ding, ding. So, I guess... A, like, quick brush over the rest of the backstory is that Hilary Duff's dad marries Jennifer Coolidge. He dies in the earthquake. Jennifer Coolidge immediately sends her to the attic where she remains instead of in a regular bedroom. Because she's just, I mean, I know she's the evil, like, stepmother, but, like, she's just, like, a really evil for absolutely no reason. And from the beginning, right, we see her in a montage engineering a way to not have Hillary Duff in right. the wedding photo. Right, exactly. So so she's the evil stepmother. She has twin daughters who are the evil stepsisters. And it's it's now eight years later. Hillary Duff is a junior in uh, high school. And one of the scenes that we open on is her sitting down in the middle of the school courtyard and taking out her flip phone with stars on it to continue the messages she's been sending with Chad Michael Murray. Where have you been? We haven't talked in ages. We talked this morning. I can't stop thinking about you. What's on your mind right now? You first. Well, I'm thinking that Professor Rothman's dissected well, too many frogs. <laughs> When can we finally meet? They met in a Princeton chat room. It's not clear to me like how Like a wannabe long... Princeton chat room. Yeah, it's not clear to me how long they have been conversing. He mentions something about September later on, so it's been at least, I guess, like two months. But like, it's not really clear <laughs> how long they've been Yeah, so before talking. this movie... Before this movie really becomes a Cinderella story, at least romantically, first it has to be a shop around the corner story mm-hmm. where these two people who know each other are also in love with each other online. Right. But in real life, they don't hang out. Right. And are kind of opposed. Yeah. And they both want to go to Princeton. It's not actually clear to me why Chad Michael Murray wants to go to Princeton specifically. Like, he doesn't want to play He's football, a writer. But he's a poet. Because he's deep. Right? Okay. Do all poets go to Princeton? Does Princeton have the best poetry department? Like, I think he heard princesses go to Princeton and he's looking to marry up. That must be it. So they, I guess, met in this chat room and have since, like, developed this deep relationship. Through T9 texting. 
Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Laughing out loud. <laughs> that that was my favorite moment of the movie. <laughs> Me too. I <laughs> It's just so funny. It's so funny that the phone is so important because the phone effectively becomes the glass slipper. But what that means is like they want to do that. They think it's like a cool like modern yeah. update. Like, right? oh, she loses her phone. But then one, to do that, they still have her at the dance attach the phone to her shoe. Uh-huh. But then also like she doesn't have pockets. Yes, but Number one, it later becomes clear that even after he knows who she is, he continues to hang on to her phone for several days. Yeah. <laughs> also, I kept waiting for, oh, this becomes the obvious way to figure out who the girl is. Like, anybody interested, Chad Michael Murray could give them his phone and be like, she left her phone, call it now, because she would know her own oh, number. Her number. But that never comes up. There are a lot he of He never uses the phone to find that. her. Right. He never even says, I have your phone, right? Like, Hillary Duff doesn't know he has her phone. If he says it's a phone, then he can't use that as, like, a... Right, but, like, Hillary Duff presumably just thinks she lost her phone. Yeah, right. She doesn't know he has it, yeah. In Cinderella, the prince is like, I have this shoe. Yeah. I want to find the lady this shoe fits. Chad Michael Murray is just secretly sitting on her lost phone. The real time capsule for me in this was the fact that she loses her phone and it's... One, not a big deal. Yeah, right. Because it's, like, not something you're reliant on. And two, Her just, like, doesn't really bring it up. Right, she doesn't say, like, oh, I lost my phone. If you make a movie now and someone loses their phone, they'll find it within five minutes or panic. Or it's, like, an identity theft movie. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, because phones back then cost, like, $40, and phones now cost $1,000. <laughs> Anyway, I mean, he could have used a lot of methods to figure out who she was. I guess we'll get that. We're getting out loud. We're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> so they've been in this relationship, even though he has had a girlfriend apparently this whole time too, which is a little bit on the edge of okay. It seems like it's more of a situationship. Like, yeah. what's her name? Shelby is constantly talking about like, I'm about to lock it in. With oh, Austin. you're right. Yeah, no, that's fair. But then he does say, I think we should break up. But yeah, I guess you're right. So that kind of takes us to point two, which is that Chad Michael Murray wants to meet Hilary Duff. I think what's one of the more unrealistic points of this is like they go to the same high school. Like, I feel like they would have decided to meet way earlier. Like, why? Why keep it a secret once you kind of hit it off? I don't totally get how that benefits either of them. I don't know. I mean, it certainly feels safe not to upend it. Yeah, I guess that's true. He's like the popular guy. He's popular. She's worried it's that weird guy from the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> yeah, she thinks yeah. it's Simon Helberg. But like, that's the thing is, as long as they stay online, there's no like, what if I see him and like, he doesn't like the way I look or I don't like the way he yeah. looks, right? We can just keep this nice thing as it is. Yeah, that's fair. But Chad Michael Murray is wanting to upend it. He's decided that it's time for them to meet face to face. And so he asks her to meet him in the middle of the dance floor. At the Halloween homecoming dance at 11 p.m. The dance that is, again, a week before homecoming. Yeah, that's a week before homecoming. And also, like, the dance didn't start at 11. It's, like, already going right. kind of late. So he's like, wait to go to the dance until 11 p.m., which is when I'll be on the dance floor. But, like, presumably it started at, like, 8 or 9. Like, right. So that's kind of funny. Why is he limiting them to one hour together? Yeah, right. Why not be like, maybe they're at the start, we'll spend all night together. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Neither of them, like, establish that they're gonna hide their identities. He just shows up in, like, a Prince Charming costume. But she 
and I, I mean, I already kind of ranted about this, but there's some amount of time that passes between her seeing him at the diner and then her getting a costume and making it to the dance. Also, Regina King, like, leaves to help her try on costumes for, like, three hours in, like, the middle of her being in charge of managing the diner. Like, I mean, I kind of get the impression she can do whatever she wants at that place because she's, like, the only thing holding it together. But I just thought it was funny that she would leave in the middle of, like, the workday. You don't need a shift manager there all the time. Yeah. Okay, fair. So she gives her her wedding dress that she's bought in case she gets married later. Yeah, like, in case she has wedding number three. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, It's a terrible dress. Yeah. Rhonda find- lives a very sad life. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm just going to say it. She, yeah. And she openly says the only reason she still works at the diner is to, like, make sure Hillary Duff is okay. Right. But the dress is bad. Yeah. Like, the lace part over her boobs is bizarre. <laughs> the skirt, like, comes out from her hips at a right angle and then drops down. I don't think the dress is bad for a high school Halloween costume, but I do think it's bad as a, like, rainy day wedding dress. Right, I'm assessing it as a wedding dress. Mm, yeah, no fair. Also, like, also, they're not the same size. No one <laughs> needs a rainy day wedding no, dress. No, it's a weird thing to have. You buy it now while it's on sale. Yeah, I'm sure there are people who do that, but it is a bit of an odd thing to have. It doesn't seem like her style at all. Like, it's Hillary Duff's no. style. It's not hers. So they find the mask. The costume guy is like, I don't have a costume to match that mask, which is kind of a weird thing to say also. And then she changes everything about how she looks. Her hair is 100% different from how it is in the rest of the movie, which makes you feel a little more understanding of why he doesn't recognize her. Ebert's review has some comment about how Hillary Duff disguises herself at the dance with a mask, which cunningly makes her look like Hillary Duff wearing a mask. Okay, y- like, yes. I mean, that's not wrong. It, she does still look like Hillary Duff, but her hair is, like, pinned straight. They don't hang out that much. Movie, I think it's fine. And it's, like, very voluminous and curly at the dance. There was a tweet recently where someone posted a picture of Jonathan Bailey from Bridgerton and Jonathan Bailey from Fellow Travelers looking basically the same Except in Fellow Travelers. Aren't those shows set like a hundred years apart? Yes, but the actor is the same. The only, I mean, that closer difference, but in Fellow Travelers, he wears glasses. And someone was like, this is the same actor. And a person replied, Clark Kent would have fooled you. <laughs> I think Clark Kent would fool most people. Yeah. And I was like having that in mind watching this. I was just like, yeah, I buy it. She's yeah. just diner girl. Yeah, Clark Kent would fool most people because you don't see what you're not looking for. You're not expecting to see Superman hanging around the office. Yeah. So they meet on the dance floor. There's a moment where it seems like it's the guy from The Big Bang Theory. His name's Terry in the movie. And one of my favorite one of my favorite lines or my favorite like delivery was him going, Austin Ames with Milady. A terrible blow. A worthy opponent. I did like that. <laughs> Simon Helberg kills this scene because he also just like kind of happens to be in the middle of the dance floor. And when she's like, are you the person he I'm supposed to meet? He's like, it. absolutely. Well, she's like, are you nomad? And he's like, I am a nomad. <laughs> a spiritual nomad. He's dressed up like Neo. He invites her to join him in the mating dance of Zion, which I have seen the <laughs> Matrix reloaded. So I know that means it's an orgy. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh no. I didn't pick up on that. One thing I like about him as the like nerd is usually these kind of movies have the nerd be like misogynist or just really rude but he's just like seems to be generally a nice or good person but really weird right he's like a high energy nerd who in a almost charming way doesn't get that other people are not on his wavelength yeah Yeah. i liked how they were like at least he's happy like He's yeah. probably happier than anyone else in this movie. I did also really like the a worthy opponent yeah. and then gracefully leaving <laughs> yeah. instead of putting up a fight or something. You get the impression that they've like talked before too, like him and Chad Michael Murray, that they like kind of know each other and have this like, I don't know. Like, it's not like Chad Michael Murray was like, who are you like random nerd boy? Like he like knew who I he was. I think everyone knows who that guy yeah, is. True. true. Every high school has the person like that, that everyone knows who they are. Yeah. Fair. So they kind of hit it off. They, like, go for a walk. Do you believe in love at first sight? I'll let you know. <laughs> but I've seen you before. Yes. Man. How could I have seen you before and not know who you are now? Maybe you were looking, but you weren't really seeing. Hey, you've got one more question left. girl feel like you made the right choice meeting me here tonight I do and do you Austin Ames ever want to see me again after tonight I'd have to think about that (laughs) absolutely he doesn't recognize her even though he saw her like somewhere between one and six hours ago And so they're chatting. He's like enamored with her and he wants to reveal her identity. They go out to the wedding and or dance setup and dance in the gazebo to all be. Right. Again, there is this empty, basically wedding setup, a decorated gazebo, (laughs) these rows of chairs all facing it and just a musical trio hanging out, waiting for them to show up. They start playing Albi um, acoustic, and then it transitions into the, like, actual song. It's so funny. Also, he, like, tries to reveal her identity, and she, like, pulls away, and then he does a little, like, skip hop and offers her his hand again. And then they, like, keep dancing. And then he goes, and she's gonna let him take the mask off, and then her cell phone alarm chimes on her shoe indicating that she has to leave so that she can get back before her evil stepmother realizes that she's gone from the diner. So she runs away. She pulls straight gay best friend away from making out with her enemy. He drives her home at 25 miles an hour, and she makes it back to the diner uh, without her stepmother. I will say, Carter is a good friend in that as soon as she needs to leave, even when he's making out with a girl, he's like, bye. Right. He's loyal for sure. It's nice that they have a movie where there is a straight high school girl and a straight high school boy who are just friends with no romantic overtones. Yeah. But the character is like clearly written to be the gay best friend with his obsession with acting and like 
He wears an ascot. His ascot, like... His first outfit, the hip-hop outfit, that was really something. I think two years later, he would have been an actual gay best friend in the most offensive possible way. Yeah, I think So it's right. kind of like a, a, a good spot for yeah, it. Yeah, fair. So we move to point three now, which is that Chad Michael Murray launches a full-on investigation to try to find out who Cinderella could possibly be. Look, we asked every girl we could find if they were with you at the dance. Here's the ones that said yes. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Guys, come on. Down here. Okay, Austin A. Let's bring out Bachelorette number one. She's a transfer from Woodland Hills, enjoys collecting puka shells, long walks on the beach, and getting two. Pleased to meet you, Missy. What's up, Austin? Thanks for coming, Missy. See you, dude. You're dead. Okay, okay, let's bring out Bachelorette number two. This little filly's into barbells, World War II, and protein shakes. Here's Helga. Thank you. Thank you. You are so <laughs> dead. Okay, okay, next up is... Uh, enough, is... enough, guys, come on. You're beautiful, okay? But I'm not your prince. You'll meet him someday, but it's not me. Thanks, Austin. Every girl in school wants to date him, and he seems to think that any of these women actually could be her, even though he knows <laughs> okay, how Okay, I also she noticed is. this. And it what her me off. It could have been a wig. The girl was totally mysterious. Yeah. It pissed me off so much. I was just like, you know it's not her. Like, you know her skin color. You know how tall she is. Like, that eliminates a lot of people. Let's keep in mind, they do win the Halloween costume contest. Yeah, but they weren't, but they're not there. Well, and her her costume that isn't actually explicitly a Cinderella costume. Like, it's just a white dress and a mask. Like it's right. Not- right, they get declared Cinderella and Prince Charming. Yeah. They are not the best costumes. There's also no reason to think they are Cinderella and Prince Charming. No, they're just, yes, no. But they no are, reason. they're flirting in a way that the only teacher at the school finds cute, and she wants to award them. Did you notice how jacked that teacher was? She was, like, very no. strong. Around this window, we start getting a lot of very tired, like, Hilary Duff almost announces who she is to him. Yeah. And- Constantly gets interrupted literally the moment before saying or typing her name. She could have typed her name. It's three letters. Yeah. I know that her whole thing is that she has to, like, do what the stepmother says so she has money for college. But, like, the stepmother really has her, like, responding immediately. Like, yeah, she could have typed those three letters and, like, hit send. So a lot of the girls seem to try to, like, convince him that it's them. Which also is funny to me because he would realize within, like... A minute and a half, if it's, like, the girl he's been talking to, because he could, like, ask her about things he said. Like, there's so many okay, ways. Okay, here's he our Cinderella hook. <laughs> if he's not going to use the phone, he should get a little white domino mask and put it in front of everyone's face yeah, to right. see if they match. <laughs> or, like, give them a quiz about, like, things they've talked about. Like, if they've been talking for this long, he knows things about her. It would be funny at this school where there are no classes to announce, like, 3 p.m. in the gym, come sit at a desk. There is a timed quiz on yeah. Are You Cinderella? Right. And all the while he's like messaging her, like, tell me who you are. And as he sends the message, are you freaked out because you found out I'm Austin Ames? 
she gets called away. Oh, sorry. This is point four. We're moving. So he like launches the search. Okay. So that's point sure. three. Now point four is that her stepsisters find out that she is Cinderella because he sends, I feel like that isn't what he would have said. Like he would have been like, are you freaked out? Cause you found out who I am. Like if I were like, are you freaked out? You found out that I'm Naomi redacted last name. I don't know. It feels very aggressive. Self self centered. Yeah, definitely. We're getting into the stepsisters a little bit. This is where I have to acknowledge, as the history teacher on the show, <laughs> that the stepsisters, they each have a Volkswagen Beetle, and they each have the horn rigged up to play Civil War songs. Oh. So one of them, <laughs> when she honks her horn, it plays the Battle Hymn of the Republic, and the other one plays Dixie. Uh-huh. Well, sometimes people I'm fly I'm really not sure why. In, uh, in Southern California. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but... Well, the Dixie one, isn't that just... That's Dukes of Hazard, Right, Dixie is Dukes of Hazard. I get that. Her car is the General Lee. Why does the other one play Battle Hymn? I don't know. Probably because they're it's opposites. Yeah. It just it feels like a convoluted reference unrelated to the movie. Yeah, fair. Because this is also before the Johnny Knoxville Dukes of Hazard movie, so it's just relying on people's familiarity with the old show? I don't think it's relying that on anything. That ended 20 years earlier? I think it's just kind of a funny ditty to do in a car horn sound. And I, like, didn't know what it was. I was like, oh, haha, those are weird horn sounds. Well, they sure are. Maybe I'm a rep- I'm more of a representation of the average consumer of this movie. Especially at age, like, what, 12? Well, <laughs> yeah, definitely in 2004. Yeah. So her stepsisters find out that she's Cinderella. And they try to convince... They try to use this information to convince... Chad Michael Murray that they are Cinderella individually. Again. Which fails. Neither of them have the right hair color or height. Or like body type or like anything. Like there are a lot of things. Voice pitch. People have a lot of features. Like it's not like he couldn't see any of them. But so when it doesn't work to convince him that they're Cinderella, they go to the cheerleaders and hand over the like manuscripts, I guess, of their chats with each other. Because if they can't be with him, they can at least get in with the cheerleaders. Yeah, exactly. And so then they put on this pep rally that we were talking about before that doesn't really make sense to probably anyone except for the like five people, the five main characters of this movie. Once upon a time, there was a big, strong fighting frog. He had a beautiful girlfriend and his dad owned the biggest pond in all the land. But he still wasn't happy. If only he can find a princess, then she could kiss him, turn him into a prince, and they would run away together. One night, after the slimy frog ditches his super hot senior pole most popular girlfriend, he meets his princess. Your Highness. Alas, it turned out that our frog not only had a secret identity, but also had a secret email relationship with a pen pal named Princeton Girl. This isn't good. Dear Princeton Girl, I can't wait till we finally get to meet. You're the only one who understands the real me. I mean, who doesn't want to play USC football? But he wants to be at Princeton with you. It's like an elaborate skit that you imagine normally is about, like, their mascot beating up the other team's right. mascot. yeah. But instead here, it's just about, like, making fun of Hillary Duff. Yeah, and I think it's kind of a stretch, but maybe the, like, 
maybe she's evil because she is trying to convince him not to play football. But like, that wasn't really what they were going for. They were just trying to embarrass her. I was just like genuinely confused by this. Yeah, it was really weird. (laughs) But through this, his dad finds out that he doesn't want to play football at USC. He wants to go to Princeton, which is like kind of a higher level of drama than like high school relationship drama. (laughs) That's like kind of an important like thing in your life is your relationship with your like parents. So it's like higher stakes in a sense than the like Cinderella relationship. (laughs) So this pep rally happens. Hillary Duff is humiliated. He like doesn't go after her or talk to her. He now knows that she is Hillary Duff. Yeah. Yeah, he finds out that she's like, this is how he finds out. But he doesn't like, he like kind of turns away from her and she's like very turned off. He does nothing with this information. Yeah. Obviously, like, they're both embarrassed. Yeah, both embarrassed for sure. (laughs) He also does not give her her phone back. No, of course not. That would be weird. So we move to point five, which is like maybe kind of a big one, but is like the full, the full wrap up of the relationship, which is. She goes to the boys' locker room before the big game and yells at Chad Michael Murray, which is fun. Weird. It's you I feel sorry for. Okay. Kind of weird. And then she goes to the game because Carter has decided that he wants to be a football fan in his, like, search for an identity. And when the crowd starts cheering his name over and over, she decides that it's just too much for her. And she starts to leave. And he, from the field looks to the stands and sees that she's leaving and decides that it's time to follow his heart. He goes to his dad and says, no, dad, I'm this giving is crazy. up He leaves in the middle of the game. In the middle of the game. And kisses her. And as soon as they kiss, a deluge of rain falls, ending the drought with one rainstorm. And it does not start playing come clean. It's crazy that it doesn't. It's crazy. Because the rain does fall down and cover them. Something that is, uh, that I noted this time for the first time is that when they're driving home from the Halloween dance, the roads are wet. So either it only like sprinkled and didn't solve the drought or somebody hosed down all of the city streets because they're acting like it hasn't rained in like months, but there's evidence of rain in other parts of the movie. It's very odd. So Chad Michael Murray hands over the helmet to the presumably backup quarterback, who is also the teacher flirted with for one moment. And that was just the whole interaction that they had. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. (laughs) And then Hilary Duff finds her father's hidden will in the storybook in the banana stand. Everything she needed was there the whole time. Everything she needed was there. Uh, She inherits all of the things she was supposed to have. Her stepmother gets sentenced to working in a diner instead of jail <laughs> and she Hillary Duff service. also then gets control of everything that has been purchased since her dad's death also uh, she is not 18 yet so like the stepmother would probably still be within her rights as the legal guardian to be making these purchases maybe yeah. I, it could have gone into like a trust or something i guess but she's a signatory to the will yeah which legally would not be allowed because you can't be like a witness to something that you have a financial interest in. Oh, sure. There are a lot of things. But I in the movie, like this would be a bigger lawsuit. Is. Like she hid the will and like took all the money, and that's like definitely illegal. I mean, yeah. so... more than uh, probably needs more than six months of 
uh, scrubbing diner floors community service right and also community service cannot be working at a private business because she has to be right serving the community yes right but this means that Hillary Duff now has money for college because she inherited everything and she gets to go to Princeton and she and Chad Michael Murray meet up on a, in a random canyon to start their journey to Princeton, New Jersey by driving directly west towards the coast. The San Fernando Valley was clear and beautiful, the way it only is after a big rainstorm. As for Austin and me, well, I finally got my cell phone back. We wound up going to Princeton together and lived happily ever after. At least for now. Hey, I'm only a freshman. And that is the end of the movie. Oh boy. Oh boy. So, uh, moving through things. Do we find this romance believable? No. I give it like a soft five. Okay, a soft five. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, they're like high schoolers, so like dumb stuff happens, even if it's like, it seems not that realistic. Them like meeting in a chat room and then like wanting to meet in real life and that being like kind of dramatic. That feels not totally out of the realm of possibilities. The way that it happened, maybe a little bit less, but I feel like it's not a zero. No, no, no. No, it loses a lot of points for me just because of the sheer dumbness of Chad Michael Murray in his hunt for Cinderella. He's also kind of boring. I think that I've been so enamored with him all these years and I've really just like imposed whatever personality I wanted him to have. And watching this again, it's like he didn't really do. I mean, he has he's got like kind of a good guy thing going because he's like nice to her even when he doesn't know that she's Cinderella. He's I nice wish. to her when he's alone with her. He really he doesn't does really stick up for in. her. Yeah, in fair. front of everyone else. No, fair. He's kind of a Bella Swan, though. Um, a Bella Swan is at least weird, right, Mark? Like she's yeah. got that going for her. I may be gonna give this like a four. I'm a little lower than you now. I'll take a four. I'm good with a four. All right. Um, do we think that Austin or Sam is dateable? No. As like high schoolers, no. sure. Austin is so boring. Yeah, Austin's too dull. Yeah, but Maybe he's Sam. hot, and that's what Maybe high schoolers—that's what high school relationships are founded on. I think if I were in high school and dating Sam, I would just repeatedly say, "Like, can you finish your sentence without <laughs> pausing in the middle of each sentence, please?" Mark, if you did have to pick one person from a Cinderella story to date, whom would you choose? I don't know. As a high schooler, Carter does seem pretty fun. He's a cutie. Fair. Made a bad decision by, like, kissing Shelby. But at the end, he does get together with the cool alt-DJ girl. Right. Right. That's the thing. It works out well for him. I think it's Carter for me, too. There's a part of me that wants to say Simon Helberg, but I think he's too much. Wait, which one is he? He's the one who's he's dressed as the Matrix. He's Big Bang. Okay, sorry. I just didn't know his name. Got it. Um, I picked Chad Michael Murray. Okay. I don't necessarily pick Austin Ames, I guess, but I absolutely pick Chad Michael Murray. <laughs> well, do you think Austin and Sam will stay together as they head off into the sunset towards New Jersey? I don't know. Even Sam literally says, like, we we probably will break up. <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's more likely than if they went to different colleges. That they'll last. Yeah. Yeah. But, like. I think they've got a few solid years in them. Yeah. But I don't know if this is, like, a marriage. Well, because I think Sam wants to come back to L.A. and, among other things, run the diner. Mm. And Austin can't go back or he'll get shoehorned into the car wash. 
That's Austin's true. clearly going to move to like the Lower East Side. Yeah. He's got to stay on the East Coast. But his dad accepts him and makes it so that now Princeton alumni got discounts instead of USC alumni. Right. <laughs> the car wash. <laughs> All right. Last question, Naomi, for now at least. Um, should a Cinderella story be adapted into a stage musical? Um, why not? Mean Girls did it, so. I feel like the argument for it would be as a Hillary Duff jukebox musical. Yeah, 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 totally. Uh, it, it, okay, now I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to be a no, but I could get on board with the Hillary Duff jukebox musical with a Cinderella story plotline. <laughs> it sounds kind of fun. <laughs> Maybe an off-Broadway production. <laughs> All right, I could live with that. Naomi, thank you so much for coming on the show to talk to us about the Northridge earthquake and a Cinderella story. <laughs> of course, I had a great time. Thanks for having me. Next week, we are discussing a movie that Will is very excited about. It has been referenced before on the show about how excited he is, I'm pretty sure. We're talking about The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer, which is a movie about how high school student Shirley Temple sees Cary Grant as a guest speaker at her school and falls in love with him. And Cary Grant spends the movie trying not to date a high schooler. Ah. <laughs> yeah. I'm very curious. Can't wait it's to great. watch it. The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer, and it's a good time. Until then, you can follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Love the Love Pod and email us questions or movie suggestions at lovethelovepod at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Last question, Naomi, what is the best piece of dating advice you got from a Cinderella story? Um, memorize every date and time of every message sent to you by your paramour so that you can prove that you're really the person that they've been messaging. That's a good point. <laughs> it is weird the detail they get into. I think my advice is you gotta pick a cool screen name if you're gonna be trolling the tr <laughs> chat rooms for a virtual girlfriend. Princeton Girl is not a very interesting screen name. Nomad. Yeah. Very hip. It's very now. Cool, very all-current. <laughs> um, I'm really, I'm really struggling here. Oh, no. But I kind of think that the best advice is you should not date someone who bullies your friend and Carter eventually makes that correct choice. Good for Carter. He doesn't Good date Shelby, right? He just, I i feel like he is just opportunistic with making out with a hot girl. That's true. She dismisses him pretty quickly when she figures out who he is. All right. Until next time, I'm gay. And I'm a ginger. So between the two of us, we know everything there is to know about romance. Bye. 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 Let the rain.